Roll there. Alrighty, everyone. It looks like we are live. Hopefully that is true, according to all these little buttons they are. Welcome to The Secrets of Saturn Livestream 6, Alchemical Tech Talk. And of course, what we're going to be talking about is, let's see if I can make it in the camera, this right here. The Alchemical Tech Revolution by Wayne McCroy. So, this is Wayne's first book. And in fact, when Wayne and I started speaking again after not for, uh, I don't know how many years, uh, we got together and did a show on uh, here, Secrets of Saturn. And that was his first live appearance ever, actually. And uh, well, the rest is history. Wayne is quite the public figure now with two books out and... Well, he's doing quite well for himself, I must say. So anyway, Wayne, where shall we start with the book? I'm going to leave this right here for reference. By the way, hello to everyone out there in the chat room. Jeremiah Harris, thank you for the preemptive $5 um, super chat, which says, thank you for all your hard work, Jason. You've been an amazing example and taught me a lot. You are welcome, and we promise to keep on doing that. Thank you. That, that's really cool of you. And hello to the Fringe FM. We should be going live there for the next two hours for the full two-hour show. So hello to all of you. All right, let's see. Let me get this book. Looks like people are still All coming right. in. We've only got 22 people so far, which is low for us. They'll start rolling in soon, I'm sure, because uh, it's only two minutes after the hour. Uh, greetings, everybody out there in YouTube land. Greetings out there on the Fringe FM. Uh, good to be on once again. Uh, we're going to be talking tonight about some alchemical technology. Uh, this is a, a, a premise uh, that I wrote about in this book that a lot of our science is actually based on old alchemical sciences and uh, what they would term uh, as kind of uh, metaphysics and things of that nature. And uh, you see that borne out in a lot of different things in our, our modern fields of science. And one of the biggest fields uh, that really plays out this whole idea of uh, these metasciences is quantum physics. Uh, when you look at quantum physics, a lot of the uh, principles involved with quantum physics point right directly back to a lot of these alchemical principles of sorts. A, a lot of things like uh, the hermetic principles of thought, uh, such as the principle of vibration. That's that's a good one uh, where many of our sciences equate back to that. And this is kind of the premise of the book, uh, how a lot of this stuff is derived from ancient knowledge that man had. And uh, we're just kind of using it and renaming it now uh, with our modern technology and putting our, our more modern spin on things, to put it that way. They, they just change around the terminology. And uh, essentially what they do is they misdescribe how it really works. So uh, when you see anything with the, the moniker quantum in front of it, understand what you're looking at, okay? It's a misdescription of what you would term a metaphysical science. So uh, when they're, they're looking at this uh, quantum physics or, or quantum mechanics, uh, this is what they're doing. They're taking this old principle, putting a new name and a new spin on it. And what a lot of this has to do with that people may not be familiar with is it all stems back to a philosophy known as atomism. Okay, so this is like uh, the uh, principle that all things are made up of fundamental particles, which doesn't always pan out in scientific experimentation. But this is why they came up with the idea of quantum physics and quantum mechanics. This is to uh, kind of correlate 
all of these different sciences to this whole atomism principle. Uh, so this is what, where they came up with the term quantum, and this is why they try to find a particle a particle for everything. This this all turns back to an ancient uh, yeah. philosophy known as atomism. So that's where a lot of this comes from. So when you see quantum, uh, understand that what they're showing you is a real physical effect, but the science that they're they're telling you that it uses to get there is being misdescribed to you. And I found this with so much of different science. I mean, Jason will attest to this <laughs> with uh, like the, the space fraud and everything like that. <coughs> Excuse me. Just can't seem to get rid of this nagging cough. Um, anyway, so yeah, that's that's what a lot of this is foundationally about. Uh, a lot of different uh, principles of our modern science and our modern technologies are based on these old hermetic ideas. So, uh, like I said, one that really stands out a lot is the the principle of vibration, where everything is in a constant state of uh, motion for the most part. Uh, so, you know, or change, motion or change. That's how they describe it. So uh, you could see uh, how this ties into alchemy as well. You're changing the state of something in an alchemical fashion. But uh, like I had pointed out, much of our modern science is misdescribed to us. I think uh, the ancients had better ways of, of describing these things. But they did it in more of an allegorical sense rather than like an actual physical textbook sense, like our science tries to do. But uh, when you look at things from the principle standpoint a lot of times allegory and, and things like that better describe something than just you know your straight up uh, standard definition because not everything falls under the standard definition category so things a lot of times will, will take on a concept uh, better and you can describe this concept better as like an archetype uh, that's another good word I like to use to try to describe these things. It's an archetype. It's a concept rather than like a, a one, two, three uh, thing like they try to describe it in science. Now, cause and effect, that's another principle that's uh, bantied about with this. And that that's a real, real thing. I mean, that's obvious on the face of it. Cause and effect is a thing. But a lot of times, uh, the way some of these technologies and sciences work, it distorts how the cause and effect uh, relationship is in these things so you know a lot of this stuff is kind of hard to get to the core of how it really works uh, especially when you're talking about something such as like quantum physics as I keep alluding to because this is something that is just there to kind of mystify the average mind so that you, you think I'm just not smart enough to understand what's going on with that. That's not the case. I mean, it's it's deliberately misconstrued so that you have no hope of understanding what's going on. It's the old magician's trick. It's, you know, look over here at this when something else is totally going on. So when they're telling you, this is this is the particle zoo, these are gluons, and this is that, and, <laughs> and you know, interferons, or whatever the hell they're, they're calling them now, all these different particles, uh, rest assured, that's not really what the, what's going on, especially when you're talking about uh, places like CERN uh, using these uh, colliders and particle colliders and things like that to study these things, um, and they're seeing these, these results pop up on the screen with their computer equipment, and, you know, who could make heads or tails of that? This is all a construct, a mathematician's construct. You could use math to basically describe anything you want. It, it doesn't change the interpretation, though. Like, that that's the thing. You could use the math will be the same, but you just 
use a different interpretation for what the math really means. And that's that's what they do by and large with this, because all they're looking at is, is a bunch of numbers on the screen when it comes down to it. So they don't really know what in the world's going on in that accelerator when they're doing that. They're just looking at the numbers that pop up on the computer screen and putting their own interpretation on it based upon these nebulous things that they've been taught about this stuff. So who knows what is really going on within those types of technologies. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, you're taking this number and you're saying, this is what this means. This means that we found this particle and such and such. And uh, that may not be the case. So that's that's basically a lot of what this is all based on. And I, I wrote this book and it branches out in a lot of different directions. It talks about a lot of different things. But basically, the premise behind it is, first of all, our science is totally skewed and misdescribed to us. Second of all, basically, I put this book out as a warning against the transhumanist agenda, because that's that's rolling at us uh, like a freight train right now. That's for sure. And it's coming down the tracks. Yeah, it's coming down the tracks. And uh, I think a lot of people are going to be totally unprepared uh, for what direction this stuff goes. you have anything to add there, Jason? Oh, yeah, the transhumanism thing, man, that's that's a biggie, isn't it? And I've been saying for quite some time, watch out what's going on, folks, because uh, they're, they're really pushing this stuff. As a matter of fact, I just found a document that I sent to Crow and to Wayne last night where it talks about how they're going to use images and archetypes and things like that in our society to manipulate things to where they want it to be, like what they want as a society. They're talking about Western society, but they do uh, actually mention some things in other parts of the world as well. But the big thing is, uh, well, it's called Images of Man, and it's by the Stanford Research Institute. It was released in 1974. This is something that uh, Crow, Wayne, and myself are all going to be digging into more, but if you want to find it, that's the name of it. Uh, there was a copy out there, so it shouldn't be hard for you to find. But they talk about how technology is ever-increasing and how that's going to be important on what shape society is going to be in in the years to come. And that's what the whole thing's about. And I haven't finished reading it yet, so that's why we haven't done a show on it yet. But I think I accidentally, while looking for something else, hit, hit a gold mine here, as Wayne said to me earlier, on uh, how they're going to do things to manipulate us in the years to come. And as everyone knows, we've done multiple episodes on Crow 777 Radio about the changing of the decades and how obvious it is that those things are guided in some way, shape, or form. That The 60s are over, the switch is thrown, boom, it's 1970, everything's going to change. That's the one I always point out a lot, but the same thing happened from the 70s to the 80s, and I'm old enough to have lived through that, and so is Wayne. And it's a stark, stark difference when you see things change like that. So anyway, the transhumanism thing is coming. Uh, we already could possibly be said to be transhumanists sometimes, we are called that just because of, uh, let me see, do I have mine here? Because of this little gadget right here. Because most people can't live out without those. We're already well, attached to technology. They are a handy tool, and uh, a lot of the uh, transhumanist proponents will argue that uh, we're already cyborgs because of what you said. I mean, we, right. we have these cell phones. We're addicted to them. Uh, they say the only thing is the connection speed. That's that's the the only thing really deterring us with that from being what they would call like full cyborg per se. Right. So, uh, you know, at some point they're going to hook it directly to your brain. And when they do so, then the input output speed will be 
to where it needs to be, where you can be considered a true cyborg. And so uh, that's that's what they're looking for. That's why they keep coming up with all these new wireless networks and stuff that are supposed to have these great connection speeds. That's what 5G is all about to one degree or another. I think the uh, 6G network coming after the 5G will be another uh, big upgrade. Is that 8K streaming idea. of the new crappy Star Wars movie? It could be. I don't know. I mean, you could you could stream it directly into your brain, so you could get all your social justice warriorism all at once, just directly geared into your brain. Woke, woke, so. woke, woke. <laughs> so Joseph D. Roop is asking what our opinions are on neural implants for people that might need it for uh, things like seizures and things like that. Well, of course, this is how they always introduce these technologies. Well, maybe not always, but they do it a lot. Uh, it's it's for the better good. It's for the better good. It's medical technology, things like that. And you know what? That is a good thing. I don't have a problem with that. People who are missing limbs, people who are paralyzed, whatever it happens to be, those are good things. And I don't have a problem with that. It's like, what are others going to do with it, though, is the question. And we, of course, always use the example of uh, Mr. Elon Musk and Neuralink and all that. And they are coming a long way in a very short amount of time. Uh, Wayne, what do you want to say about old Musky boy or Uncle Elon, as I like to call him? <laughs> Yeah, he's, uh, you know, he, he's something else, that guy. But uh, the, the point is, yes, it's technology. It could be used for good or it could be used for bad. My concern is there's an extreme potential for misuse out there. And the people that are controlling it right now and, and pulling the strings on all of it uh, have been known uh, to misuse different technologies and different things uh, for their own advantages and for their own personal gains and uh, not necessarily to benefit the public. And that's how they always roll these things out. It's, it's going to be good for you. It's, I could use just as a similar example here, okay? Where I live here in Pennsylvania, a few years back, they decided uh, they want to put casinos in, right? So what they did is they came to all the property owners and they said, okay, we're going to put these casinos in. This will relieve your property taxes, this is what this will do. This will eliminate your property taxes so that you don't have to pay so much property tax. So then, of course, everybody voted, yeah, well, let's put the casinos in. So they put the casinos in, and lo and behold, guess what? My property taxes still went up. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's one of those things. That they just tell you what you want to hear to get it in place. And then once it's in place, then it's like, sorry, guys, it's not what we originally said. But, uh, you know, it, now we have what we want. And uh, you're at our beck and call on it. So that that's how it's going to be. I mean, these transhumanist technologies, they're not meant for you and I. That's what people need to understand. They're not meant for the public. This is meant for the elites, the one percenters of the world. Uh, these are going to be the ones that are going to be the beneficiaries of the good parts of these technologies. You and I are not going to be the beneficiaries. They'll roll it out that way, sure. Uh, and it would be a great thing. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's a lot of potential good use for this stuff. You could uh, cure a lot of diseases and uh, fix a lot of uh, physical problems and stuff with something like a brain implant that could uh, maybe, say, help somebody to walk again who's been paralyzed. That That's all good. I mean, there's good uses for it. But my concern is there's the, the potential, the huge potential for misuse, and uh, that's the danger that's involved with it. So I think we need to really speak up and keep a close eye on these things because when you look at it, Who's the who's the ones that are, are watching uh, this stuff, uh, keeping an eye on it? There's no really no real regulatory agencies for this stuff per se, so that that's the thing. I mean, you know, when you have places like uh, DARPA and uh, the Department of Defense and stuff, when they have their hands 
in these technologies. And believe me, they're heavily involved with these technologies. Uh, they're the ones that pull the strings on a lot of this stuff. They don't have any regulatory oversight with that stuff. That's the whole thing. So, uh, you know, they, they look at different militarized uses of it first before any of this stuff even gets trickled down into the public. So when you see the things coming out in public now that are coming out, you could view that stuff as being at least 30 years old, bare minimum. They, the military industrial complex had this stuff 30 years ago. So when you look at it like that and you see this stuff coming out for public consumption now, you could know that the military has figured out every plausible use for this 30 years ago. So, uh, you know, we just get the crumbs. That's the thing. This stuff goes on in uh, these uh, black projects communities and, and you know, these classified projects see uh, special access programs that's what it's called that's the official name for a lot of this stuff and a lot of these are run through private corporations that are military subcontractors so that way uh, the information is not subject to FOIA request and that's something people need to realize too that's a big thing that's why a lot of these uh, military grade technologies and stuff are run through these private contractors, these military subcontractors, because that way they're private corporations and this stuff is considered proprietary, proprietary. So uh, it's not subject to FOIA requests. So you can't just write a letter to uh, this, this said agency. You can't write a letter to DARPA uh, with a Freedom of Information Act request looking for this information on this stuff. Right. They don't have it. The, the private corporation has it and it's proprietary information. So uh, they, they're not legally bound to let you see any of that and so that's how they keep a lot of these technologies uh secret when it comes down to it so uh when you see the stuff that's coming out now that we consider cutting edge here in the public sector imagine what they're working on in the military private sector in these secret access programs imagine that stuff so why don't we start at the beginning here wayne the title of your book is the alchemical tech revolution but the full title is fulfilling ancient esoteric agendas through the use of high technology so when you were starting to dig through this information what ancient esoteric agendas would you say you were trying to uh, explore well one thing that always seems to come about uh, there's two uh, primary terms that that crop up a lot when you're looking at this stuff and you go back to the looking at these ancient mystery schools and, and what they were hoping to accomplish <clears throat> so these two terms that I'm talking about are, first of all, there's one that they call the great work, and another one is known as the philosopher's stone. And both of these things could be equated to uh, a, a couple different things, really, uh, when you look at them. Uh, the primary one being immortality, and, uh, you know, they're, they're very close to achieving that, uh, with our technology through this transhumanist movement. That's at least that's their viewpoint. They think they're going to be able to live forever and uh, become the gods of this place, pretty much. It, it also has to do with uh, enlightenment or illumination or uh, apotheosis. That's Those are some other terms that they use uh, for the great work or uh, the philosopher's stone, the fulfillment of these things. So, uh, they want to become the gods of this place and live forever. And that's basically, that that's the ancient esoteric agenda that they're looking to fulfill with the use of these different high technologies. And they, they, could see, they see that as being closer than ever before in this day and age. It's, it's within their reach right now. They've been planning for it for, you know, ages untold. 
and now they can see this stuff coming to fruition with their uh, technological advances that they're looking at right now. They really, truly, and honestly believe that they could transfer their consciousness into a machine and live forever. So that's pretty disturbing stuff. And they plan on doing so uh, via the first step through these uh, VCI machines, these brain-computer interfaces, yeah. such as uh, Neuralink that we discussed. Uh, Neuralink this year is rolling out uh, human trial tests on, on their uh, neural lace product. So uh be interesting to see what they come up with with that. Right. And I see people talking about the mud flood. And we have figured out, we, at least we think we have, where they're drawing from. Because the, the sillier aspects of that is probably a distracting psyop. Right. Yeah. There was no yeah, worldwide mud flood. There, there wasn't. You, I hate to say it to you guys, but you're just buying into nonsense. It's... It's not what you think it is. Again, just like with all these things that we uncover, it's being drawn from myth. And we're going to do a show on that uh, coming up very soon uh, within the next few weeks. Uh, we're, we're a little little ahead on Crow Triple Seven. But, um, yeah, we're going to discuss about that. So, Yeah, it's an interesting topic. Uh, I've looked at it ad nauseum because, uh, you know, it's it does have some truths, uh, like, riddled in there about things. Right, but so it's not, it's it's one not of what people think it where, is. It's really not what people think it is, and and that's the thing. I see a lot of people, they love to talk about this. They think that this is just the, the end-all, be-all of, uh, you know, explaining a lot of uh, the things that are misdescribed in our history and our science. But, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be recording uh, that show very soon, Jason, and uh, yeah. I, I think people are going to be shocked at some of what's being told to them about it. So... Uh, We'll see. I mean, it's an interesting topic, and uh, the people have wanted us to tackle it for a long time. So we put our brains together and, you know, discovered a couple things about it that I don't think anybody's gone at with it. No. So uh, it should be a good show when we do record. No, but between you, Crow, and myself, this is what we do. We're usually at uh, the tip of the spear with these things, as Mr. Alex Jones would say, <laughs> except we're, th we're doing it for real and not making up nonsense and taking our shirt off and screaming at the camera. But uh, anyway, bye, bye, pills. no one wants to see that. <laughs> so let, let's no. go back to the book here, Wayne. Let's start with chapter one. What is alchemy and why is it relevant today? Well, alchemy, of course, is something that we, we talk about a lot. And uh, of course, it's not what a lot of people think it means. No, a lot of people think of alchemy as pseudoscience. Uh, I don't see it that way. Uh, alchemy is actually natural science i mean that's that's another term you could use for it natural science um we kind of lump together a lot of things into alchemy but uh, alchemy is essentially it's natural science it's how things work with nature and uh it's a different understanding of how these things operate how these different principles in nature operate uh you know the the thing we're fed with our modern science is like I said, most of it's misdescribed to us. Whereas when you take a look back at the natural sciences or the alchemical sciences, these give you kind of a much clearer and better picture of what's going on and how things operate. Uh, a lot of it's tied up in allegor allegorical type descriptions. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But uh, once you could understand the allegory being presented to you, you get a much clearer picture of how things work. So it's it's one of those things where 
they I think our modern science has tried to oversimplify things and make it down into, you know, this three step process, one, two, three, you know, and like that turn it into something linear when it's not always something linear like that uh, on how things operate. But when you look at the way uh, nature works and how the natural sciences work, you do get a better feel for how things are really going on. So uh, that's what a lot of this stems from. And that's basically what we call alchemy. And a lot of different things will, will you know, get lumped in to alchemy. Uh, a lot of people in the mainstream would say alchemy is the precursor to chemistry. And that's kind of true to a certain degree. Chemistry is kind of like incomplete alchemy, if, if you want my take on it. Uh, I think that's, that's a good way to describe it. Our modern chemistry is an incomplete form of alchemy. So... Could some good and stuff be derived from it? Yes, good, good can be dis derived from uh, our modern chemistry, but it's missing certain elements, and a lot of those are spiritual-type elements that go along with it. And that's a lot of uh, what the push is with our modern science. It's mm -hmm. to eliminate the spiritual component of things, and uh, it's kind of a hyper-materialist view. So that's where our modern science leads is to this hyper-materialist view yeah. and this hyper-materialist world. Whereas the alchemical sciences and natural sciences take consideration of things that are spiritual and things that are, you know, otherworldly. Whereas we're just kind of bound in the physical here with our modern science. It doesn't look at different aspects of things like spiritual aspects like uh, alchemy would well, let's take a moment to even talk about materialism. <coughs> Lovely folks like Edward Bernays convinced people in Western societies that materialism was the way. Why? You don't just want a product. You need a product. And tying it to an emotional key within you to make you desire a thing, like uh, feeling masculine with that new great big sexy car or anything like that. You know, they, they figured this out and then they sold it to us and here we are a hundred years later, and man, just everybody's going to wait in line for that new iPhone, even though there's nothing wrong with the one in their pocket. They, they've got us, man. They've really got us. They really do. And, you know, just to kind of put a fine point on what you're saying, all you have to do is look back at uh, the history of how women started smoking cigarettes. That's got Bernays written all over it. He's the individual responsible for that, for making women desire smoking cigarettes. Because up until uh, he had actually done the marketing on that, women were there was a very small percentage of women who were smokers. It was all mostly men, right? And mostly mostly military men who who smoked at that point. Uh, but uh, once once Bernays got a hold of the marketing campaigns for the cigarette companies, that's when everything kicked into high gear. So you know this guy was responsible for a lot in our world. Uh, this is the guy that made bacon a thing. Yep, bacon and when eggs. He, bacon and eggs. Bacon and eggs yep. for breakfast. This this is the thing. This this guy made breakfast in America, mm -hmm. which, by the way, is before a super that people would eat the, just small. a nine eleven ink quote on it. But oh, that's wow, yeah. <laughs> that, Sorry, that's guys, not a thing. I tangent like that. <laughs> <laughs> that. That's okay. I think people like that though, because you know, my mind wanders and sometimes it doesn't come back. But that's. <laughs> You know, one of those things. But yeah, Breakfast in America, that was a super tramp album. And it had that's a 9 11 in that's, so, that's very true. Yeah. But, you know, that's not, neither here nor there. But uh, Ed Bernays had his fingerprints all over that. So, you know. I, I just got some more Edward Bernays books, in fact, because uh, we're going to do another episode on Crow Triple Seven Radio about Edward Bernays because, man, he 
was so instrumental in shaping the way things are now. And even though we did an episode and did a lot of the key stuff, I'm trying to get really in-depth with just how he was thinking, what influences he had. I'm good grief. I cannot believe how much stuff that guy was doing, even in his 20s, like World War I era. This guy was in his early and mid-20s and doing massively worldwide influential things. So we're going to go into all of that as a follow-up to our, our last episode, which was ages ago. And, you know, I, we've talked about this. I think we may revisit multiple topics we did ages ago just because we're always getting new listeners, and not everyone's going to go back through nearly 200 episodes either. So revisiting topics with new information is probably a good idea, although we try really hard not to repeat ourselves. So we'll see. But the Edward yeah. thing, there's a lot of information there that we didn't cover the first time, and we most assuredly will be very soon. It's it's very difficult sometimes to not repeat yourself, especially when, you know, you do find something that is so kind of world shaking or shocking that uh, it really bears repeating. So, you know, I mean, it's it's one of those things where Bernays, he had his fingerprints all over everything. And there's just so many aspects. You could probably do 10 shows about the guy and still not cover it all. So uh, when you look at it from there, there's, you know a lot more to be discussed about it. But this this guy was the father of modern marketing. And uh, marketing is just a a propaganda tool when it comes down to it. It's it's a sub-science of propaganda. So when you understand marketing is a sub-science of propaganda, uh, you know, I think that should tell you some things about the products that we buy. So, uh, you know, products, that's, a, that's another thing to look at. When it comes to it, we are considered to be products ourselves, oh, yeah. especially especially when you get something for free. <coughs> Vaccines. Um, <laughs> so, I'm sorry, I can't shake this cough, Jason. Oh, you just have to poor thing. Would you like a lozenge? <laughs> well, I would love a lozenge. Uh, I think Bernays did some marketing on lozenges too. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Ricola. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I I just missed it in the chat here. Oh, Seeking Truth said anything that is older than 100 years could be complete poppycock. I go a little bit further than that. Um, that's actually an important point we should address for a moment. Yes, I think once you get past a certain point, you should really start questioning a lot. I usually start thinking anything before mm, 1800s-ish just because there's tons of documentation and people were writing things into the 20th century about the 19th century that I think if anything crazy was going on, or anything completely different, it probably would have shown up. You know, you did have, I mean, even somebody like uh, Wyatt Earp survived all the way up into the, I forget, 30s, 40s, something like that, and actually gave John Ford advice on how the actual OK Corral shootout happened, which didn't actually happen at the OK Corral. It happened uh, one or two lots over. It's just that was the one that had a name and was popular. He's the one that told him they waited for the train to go by so that they had the distraction of the noise and all the dust being kicked up before the, the firing... Started So just things like that, things that happened in the 1800s got discussed in the 20th century. So I'm okay with things in the 1800s for the most part, which is also why I have a problem with the mud flood taking place like this. And, and let me let me be very specific about this. Folks talk about a mud flood that happened around the time of the Civil War that buried the Tartarian Empire and then the rest of societies that existed at the time, the Americans and the English and all that, started destroying their buildings. I don't buy into that. I just I just don't. That's silly. I, I There were so many newspapers. There were so many people writing books. 
there was tons of independent press at the time. It was before the, the Rockefellers and all them really got a hold of everything. Well, they weren't even really around yet in the 1800s. So people were able to print independent newspapers and things like that and, and, and hand them out. So if there was some kind of massive worldwide calamity going on, I would bet a wooden nickel that somebody somewhere would have written about the damn thing. You know, this is why, I mean, this is how we always do things. Just look at the matter as objectively as possible. When something really insane comes up, think about it. Okay, how can I blow holes in this? Is there a, truly a there there, as Crow would say? And with the mud flood, in that context, happening around the Civil War, no, there is not a there there. And Wayne, you had said something to me the other day about the, uh, the children on the trains and all that. Why don't you go through on that one? Uh, well, basically, uh, I looked into that to see if there was anything to that, because uh, another part of the narrative that goes along with this, with the whole mud flood thing, is that uh, there were these orphan trains, and there was this large population of, of children that uh, supposedly had to repopulate the United States after these mud floods. And uh, when I actually looked into it, basically it was a more of a social welfare program type thing. Uh, and the numbers are actually not great enough to really constitute what you would consider, uh, you know, like a, a repopulation of the entire country by these children, these orphaned children, which all of them weren't technically orphans uh, when it comes down to it. But you're looking at the, the numbers when you look at this, when you look it up, uh, they claim that there were 200,000 children that were in this uh, orphan train program. Uh, over the course of a 75-year period. So uh, when you actually break that down uh, and look at the numbers, it's an extremely low number every year, considering this was across the entire United States and Canada that the, this program took place. So you're looking at less than 3,000 children per year. And uh, as a, a foster parent, I can tell you, just in the county I live alone right now, there's over 800 children in the foster care system here. So this orphan train thing was kind of a precursor of the modern foster care system. So when you're looking at 3,000 children per year over the entire continental U.S. and Canada, that's not an awful lot of people uh, to be in that type of a program compared to like more modern numbers of that. So uh, when, when you're looking at it from an objective point of view like that, and you could see, I mean, the history of it is is easily findable. You could, you could read about uh, what it was about. Basically, uh, what had happened is a lot of uh, overpopulation in the urban areas like New York and stuff uh, was going on, and, and people were abandoning their children and leaving them in the streets, and they actually formed children's street gangs and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. um, Documented. a lot of people... Documented yeah, and talked all, about. Not right. a mud flood. So, but no, they, it, was, it didn't have anything to do with a mud flood. One has nothing to do with the other. Right. What I'm and, saying is uh, people would, documented this. Independent <laughs> newspapers wrote about these things. People put it in right. novels. The documentation from a time period when people would do such Absolutely. things. No worldwide right. mud flood. Right. Absolutely. This had nothing to do with a mud flood whatsoever at all. But somebody decided to kept, you know, snag onto that narrative and connect it to the mud flood. And uh, we'll go over the reasons for that when we do the uh, Crow 777 episode on the mud flood. Right. So uh, <clears throat> and once again, uh, these things don't happen by accident. And uh, the whole mud flood narrative was kind of directed at... Uh, what you would call us truthers or conspiracy theorists or whatever people want to 
well, you know, whatever moniker people want to give to us. Look, look at how many this people are caught up in it now. This was targeted at us. Yeah, right? the, people so are obsessed is, this with this thing. That was there isn't a at day, us. Wayne, that I go by where people aren't bombarding me. With, when are you going to talk about the mud floods? Like, dude, where are you? How are you buying this? Like, of all the things we talk about, we back up and we back up and we back up with evidence. That's not saying we're 100% correct about everything, but we try our damnedest. Man, there is no evidence for this mud flood thing. Not not the minor circumstantial things. But anyway, I don't, I don't want to keep going off about that. We're, we're here to talk about, about your work. Um, <clears throat> before I forget, though, I did want to mention that uh, Rose has been uploading Crow's telescope work so that it's preserved on a BitChute channel. So it is the Crow, C-R-R-O-W-777 BitChute channel. And it's actually on a roll, thank goodness. So if you're up for helping us out there, please subscribe and share with those who may not be familiar with Crow's classic telescope work. Uh, we have clips up with the boomerang, the vortex, the shooting orb, the exploding chem bomb, the turbo thrust- thruster clip, and more coming. Crow's got quite a bit. And this way, if YouTube does anything nasty, at least it's up there for people to uh, do their own thought, make their own thoughts about it in the years to come because I don't think BitChute will start hacking things away. So let's move on, Wayne. Unless you have something else to comment on that, uh, I think uh, you know we could talk about that more when we record the episode with Crow. So uh, you know we could let the the mud flood thing lie for now. Bitchute does not charge, <laughs> by the way. It's 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 free. Um, so what do you feel is the ultimate goal of the elite with their use of alchemy? Well, essentially, they want to achieve uh, this whole great work or philosopher's stone idea. They want to become the gods of this place and uh, become immortal. They want to live forever and they want to have unlimited power over their environment around them and all the people around them. So they, they want control, total control of everything. And that's kind of what it's about. So that's, that's what they're looking at. And they could see this coming to fruition by using these advanced technologies and merging themselves with machines so that they can live forever. But uh, what kind of a life would it be uh, with your consciousness in, in a machine? That's, you know, what I ask, if that could even be done as a thing, which, you know, I, I kind of take uh, take a little issue with. I, I don't think there's any type of technology that would transfer your spirit, per se, into a machine, which I think they are also heavily aware of, and that's why the push for the transhumanist idea because that way, you know, you're you're using your your physical bodily human form uh, in conjunction with these technologies and merging with them. Uh, because I think they're ultimately really aware that uh, just what they're trying to do to transfer people's consciousnesses into these machines is not going to play out uh, all that well without the biological component to it or the human component or the uh, what they, we would call the divine spark within man. So uh, uh, a machine doesn't have this divine spark, right. nor can it ever have this divine spark. So that's why the big push for the merging of man with the machine. So that's why they want to tie us to the machine so that they can maintain their divine spark and still achieve the immortality in the machine and still have the freedom of uh, moving around from, you know, uh, body to body within the machine. So that that's one of the things they're looking for. It'll be like a, uh, a multi-dimensional uh, and a multi-location type of existence. 
you can be multi-bodied doing this. You can have multiple bodies with this whole transhumanist idea. That's the thing. I mean, if they, they're able to transfer their consciousness into a machine, then potentially they, they could be multiple places at once. Their consciousness could reside in multiple places at once. It's, it's really interesting to think about. Uh, and a lot of these th things, <coughs> excuse me, have been discussed in scientific papers. Uh, you know, it's not all the stuff of science fiction. Um, one that I could think of off the top of my head is talking about, uh, I don't remember the name of the paper. I could look it up if anybody's interested, though. But uh, it talks about how one potential use for these BCI technologies, these brain-computer interfaces, is so that one person could experience the actual experiences and emotions and everything of another person. So they, they could actually experience somebody else's life experience of some sort and uh, empathize with them more that way. So you're looking at, uh, you know, this <laughs> this idea. It, it's something that's going to uh, really encroach upon our privacy and, uh, you know, all kinds of other aspects of our lives. And this is uh, a term that's called cognitive liberty. And that's going to be something that's going to be discussed heavily in the next few years because uh, they're they have policy papers about the ethical concerns of these technologies and stuff too. So uh, this is something that they're heavily looking at is the, the effects it's going to have on what they call cognitive liberty. So that's something that we need to take into consideration when we're looking at this stuff because essentially they're building a, a, a type of device that could allow them to actually read your mind and know what you're thinking and what you're feeling uh, and that could be a dangerous thing if it's uh, connected to the internet, uh, especially hmm. you know, you're talking a, a collective. Uh, it's it's the Borg basically when yeah. it comes down to it. Yeah. You're talking about the collective. That's what it's going to be all about at some point or another. The collective, uh, and you can see how this will raise a lot of ethical concerns, uh, especially among people who you know, really are concerned about ethics. A lot of these transhumanist types aren't really all that concerned about ethics. They just want, they want, they what want they power want. and knowledge and yep. immortality. They want it. And they'll do just about anything to get it. I mean, you look at guys like that, Richard Dawkins. He's a perfect <laughs> example of this. Like, he's, you know, just totally, totally arrogant and wants what he wants and, you know, just and have no problem telling do you whatever that to get it. Yeah, that's the thing, and th these are these are the personality types that are really kind of pushing this whole transhuman agenda. So, uh, could some good and stuff come from this? Absolutely, it can. But uh, my major concern is that people pulling the strings behind it right now—they don't have those altruistic goals in mind with it, and that's a lot of the problem. So, I think there needs to be more uh, oversight of this stuff. Uh, when you have somebody like Elon Musk just running around building these uh, neural lace devices and stuff, uh, the guy has shown he has very little moral compass, honestly, because he's willing to come out and lie to the public about, like, say, putting a, a car in space, you know? So yeah, that should tell you something about the guy's integrity right there. Uh, because I, if anybody believes that there's really that car out in space, I, I think you're delusional. So, uh that's beside the point, but just to put a fine point on it, 
if you got a figurehead like Elon Musk out pushing this stuff heavily and, uh, you know, supposedly masterminding a lot of this stuff and, and com- coming out and setting the narrative. See, he's a narrative setter. <coughs> he's coming out and saying, here's what we want to do. We're going to we're going to merge with the machines so that the artificial intelligence doesn't kill us. OK, all right. Well, that makes sense, Elon. So what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to go start an artificial intelligence company now. <laughs> so you know it, it makes total sense but then you know he'll say but we need to merge with it in order so that it doesn't kill us while looking so, all serious uh, on joe I'm rogan to, right i'm going to i'm yeah smoking pot on joe rogan and uh you know just it, it just it boggles the mind that anybody really thinks that this guy is really the genius that they they claim he is he might be smart i'll give him that but uh you know, when it comes down to it, he's a figurehead, okay? He's the, the scapegoat that they put in front of you to be the big target. It's kind of the same thing like the presidency of the United States. The guy they put up in the presidency of the United States, this is your scapegoat, okay? <laughs> this is the guy they want you to blame for everything going on. And right now, they got a guy in there who's willing to play the part to a T, and he's doing it well. And the guy prior to him did it well, too. Uh, Obama was a really great scapegoat uh, when it comes down to it. They they just have to be the willing participant in this, and uh, Trump is that to a T as well. Like he he's he's the willing scapegoat. He's up there to take your derision and uh, be the one blamed for everything. It's gonna and be he huge. Actually, it's gonna be huge. We have the best scapegoats everywhere. So, but that's <laughs> that's basically what you're looking at with an Elon Musk type figure. This is the guy that's the figurehead. Okay. This is the the one that they put in front of you, the puppet they put in front of you that they'll have dance and sing and that you will, you'll, you'll give them the credit and the glory, or you'll give them the blame when something goes wrong. And that's what this, that job is about. It's the scapegoat job. (coughs) So they put this guy up to present the ideas to you because, you know, you look at him, he's a little, he's, kind of charismatic to a certain degree he's kind of quirky and people don't feel threatened by him so that's why they put him out there to push these messages and say things like uh, yeah we need to merge with the machine so that the artificial intelligence doesn't kill us okay well that's you know that's the narrative they want you to buy into they want you to think that there's there's no alternative to this that we need to do this if we're going to survive and that we won't survive otherwise. So uh, that's what they do. They put a guy like this out there in the limelight, and he's a very popular figure. You know, they put him out there, they push him everywhere, and he goes around saying all this stuff, and people eat it up. And then they believe that he does stuff like launch a, a car into space. So, <laughs> you know, it's this guy has his hands all over everything. Do you, do you believe in any uh, realistic uh, way at all that somebody would be so intertied with all these different aspects of the the tech scene like he builds electric cars okay he he has spacex he he does space uh vehicles he he builds space vehicles he's also designing brain computer interfaces neural lace devices with people he he sells (laughs) flamethrowers Baseball's the flamethrower. The kids love this one. Baseball's the flamethrower. <laughs> yeah, 
So, uh, you know, SpaceX, the flamethrower. That's that's coming soon, I'm sure. But uh, it, it... it just boggles the mind to think that people will buy that this guy's fingerprint is on all this stuff. And he's, what, developing that uh, underground tunnel system or something, supposedly. They've been working on yeah. that. They're trying to credit him for that, too. Uh, it, it's nonsense, guys. It, it's nonsense. This guy's a figurehead. He's a public figure that they put out there to, to be the face of this stuff. And uh, behind the scenes, I guarantee you, it's not Elon Musk calling the shots on this guaranteed so uh you know where do you want to go from there with the talk here jason well i'm going to take a moment to thank frank <laughs> vitucci for the 399 super chat thanks so much frank uh he wants to know if there's any new work from crow uh crow is intending to start doing telescope work again uh the, in this coming spring summer he's still recovering from his second surgery that really made it difficult for him to carry a giant telescope uh, his house is uh, in the north, and there's lots of steps. I've been there, so yeah, it's a, it's a bit of an issue for uh, the whole structure of where he's got the scope stored to get it down and out and set up. It's it's a big deal uh, for one guy and his tiny little wife to, to help him. So he's going to do it. Uh, he just needs to be fully recovered, or bad things could happen to uh, parts downstairs, let's just say. So yeah, the, he'll he'll have more telescope work coming. I saw some folks talking about the P1000, P1900, and all those. I have a P1000, and uh, man, I'm pretty impressed with that. To be honest with you, it really is kind of like a little miniature telescope. The big thing is that it doesn't track, so you can't just point it at the moon and then sit back and so go, oh wow, nifty neato, that's awesome, because very quickly the moon's going to get out of the viewfinder. You have to track it, so. If you want to do anything kind of like what Crow did, you have to – it's easiest if you have it on a good solid tripod with a very fat moving head like uh, so that you can pan with it. That's what I have mine on, and the, hand, the handle of the head, I have it locked down most of the way so that it's a very tight pan. So as I'm moving it, I have to put a little effort into it, and then I'm kind of doing this sort of a thing as whatever object I'm looking at is moving. I've also, for you people who are into flat earth out there, been trying to get some good shots of New Orleans from my side of Lake Pontchartrain, uh, which is the Covington-Mandeville side. There's a pier, a fishing pier, that I can go to where I'm like looking dead at the other side. But uh, I even tried again today. I've tried multiple times, but the conditions have to be right to see anything, which kind of sucks. I tried today. My side of the lake was crystal clear blue skies, a beautiful day. It was not warm, warm, but nice. And I went down there and it was really cold, massive winds, and I couldn't see hardly anything. So I guess the distance from my side to the New Orleans side is enough for the weather to be shifted. Maybe it's because of the water. I, I don't really know. But anyway, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't get any shots despite my efforts, but it warms up very quickly here. So once what little bit of winter we have shakes off, I'll be able to do a lot more work and hopefully understand how to use the P1000 a lot more because that thing is super powerful and I can't recommend them enough. But you don't even need those. Uh, P900 is, is really good. That's got an 83 times zoom. And Dave Marsh actually recommends not the P900, but a different camera, the Nikon B700, which is a super zoom that has a 60 super zoom it's a slightly older model, but you can get them dirt cheap, like $200. That's it. With it. And still got a super zoom, just not as powerful as the newer ones. But hey, man, you want to get into it? That's still a lot. You can get right in on the moon with 60. 
with a 60 optical zoom. And this is the important part. It's an optical zoom. It's like using a telescope. Digital zoom is useless crap because it's just taking what's there and blowing it up for you to see. That's garbage. You don't want that. You want an optical zoom, meaning the glass is actually focusing the light more. So anyway, this is the fun part about uh, live streams. You can kind of go in multiple directions. But let's get back to your book, I think. So... What technologies are being used for the alchemical agendas the next chapter? But we kind of went through that, I would say, right? Yeah, I think we touched on it, uh, you know, quite a bit already with a lot of this stuff. I mean, you're talking about uh, these different quantum technologies and, uh, you know, these particle accelerators, things of that nature. The quantum computer, that's a popular one. Uh, They're using that, I think, mostly for the encoding capabilities of it at this point uh, and the encryption. So, uh, like, there's a lot of uh, different uh, encryption-type firms, security firms, that are, are using uh, these, these quantum computers now in order to uh, make sure that everything's either safely encrypted or they could pretty much de-encrypt any, anything that they want. Uh, the intelligence community is using it, I'm sure, for that, too. So pretty much any of your data, it's not really safe at this point, guys. They could, they could look at whatever they want that you have. No matter how much uh, encryption you put on it, these machines are capable of of just breaking the encryption of that. So uh, it's it's one of those things that this is used basically uh, for information. Okay, that's the big key right now in the 21st century. Information is the currency of the the 21st century. So uh, that's what they're doing. It's big data. We're in the age of big data. So all of these things are basically used to collect data, and they're doing so at an astronomical level right now. Like, it's unbelievable the amount of data that's out there on the Internet. So uh, this, and it's not just the Internet. They collect your data in all kinds of ways you're not aware of. But uh, even if you're not even, like, say, online, uh, they still have a data file on you. So Yes, they do. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, they're they're tracking everybody in real time, all the time. So they know what you're doing. They know you and I are here live streaming right now, Jason. They're probably watching, laughing at Hi. us right now. So hello good there. Today. <laughs> hey there, intelligence community. How you doing? I hope you so, learned something. Uh, yeah. So I think some of them know. Some of them probably don't. But, you know, some of them probably think we're kooks. But that's okay. I'm used to that. I don't mind being the, the you know, the, the kook in the room. So... <laughs> It's something that you kind of get used to after a while when, you know, you start to see through the nonsense all the time. So it's it's one of those things where, you know, it's okay. I don't mind being called the conspiracy nut or whatever if they want to <laughs> throw those kind of monikers on me. Oh, but, let's talk about yeah, that in a moment. Yeah. Um, I actually forgot to mention something really important about the cameras. I also had trouble with the tripods. I saw somebody mentioning that in the chat room. You have to get a decent tripod, a certain kind of tripod to make those cameras work well. And I, I really have been meaning to say this for a while now. I have these great Sirui, if that's how you pronounce it, for uh, tripods for my Blackmagic cameras. And those are small and they're fantastic. They're there for travel and all that. Those were great for that. Did not work for a diddly on my P1000 with that giant lens on the front. So what I ended up getting was a Kayer, C-A-Y-E-R is the brand. I got this on Amazon. And the number, the model number is BV, that's Boy Victor, 30L as in Larry, and it's a 72-inch professional heavy-duty twin-tube tripod with a K3 fluid head. That is what I'm using, 
and it's only 140 bucks. That is what I recommend for the cheap option. Now, if you have the money or you have other photograph equipment, by all means, use the heaviest duty one you got. But this is the least expensive one I found after doing a bunch of homework that works really, really well for these kinds of cameras. But uh, sorry, Wayne, wanted to get that in there since I try to be helpful to our community as I can. But uh, let's talk about the the conspiracy thing for a second. Uh, Obviously, most folks know that you've had uh, vaccine-damaged children children damage as a result of vaccines and that's kind of what turned you into a crazy tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy nut job so oh yeah how does your family relate to that (laughs) Uh, i gotta say i'm very proud of my wife we were watching the the morning news the other day and uh you know she's sitting there and they were they were doing the whole this is when you know the the whole thing with the iran nonsense was going on after uh Ah, the big boom you know he yeah, after after uh, you know Trump ordered that airstrike that killed that general or whatever. Yeah. So they have uh, you know we're we're watching the morning news. I think it was ABC. It's really doesn't matter which channel it is or anything. But uh, they had their reporter there, and she's talking about how the Iranians are are demanding revenge and stuff for this, and that they're talking about they're going to kill Americans and this and that. And then she shows a video of her in the streets talking to some of the Iranian citizens that are are. Yes, we want revenge. They have the translator people coming on. And my wife is sitting there and she says, wait a minute, that reporter's American. Why are they, first of all, allowing her there and not killing her? (laughs) (laughs) It was a proud moment. Because green screens don't attack you. So... But yeah, it's so it, it's one of those things where, you know, the logic kind of starts to hit people in the face after a while, after they they hear you talking about this stuff so much. And, you know, that's the thing. I, I don't mind people call me the conspiracy nut or whatever. Guess who's the first guy they go to talk to when they see something like that happening on the TV? Yep. <laughs> What's your take on this? I got people asking me stuff all the time about all this different stuff. Just, uh, you know, and, and they seem open minded about it. It's not like they're coming to you mocking you about it or anything. Uh, that may have been the case in the past, but uh, now they're really starting to listen because they're seeing through the BS. I mean, I, I could, you know, just tell you just that that moment that my wife said to me, you know, that hold on a second, that you know, this doesn't even make sense because she's an American. Why why is why are they not uh, up in arms that she's there first of all, or even mm-hmm. like killing her if they're vowing revenge and they're going to kill Americans or whatever. So (laughs) she's seeing through the news media. She knows it's all nonsense. So, uh, you know, that's, that's something that's kind of rubbed off now. Uh, So, but anyway, that's neither here or there, but there is this stigma attached to those of us who speak uh, out or what you might call a, a truth seeker or whatever, or somebody that, that just sees through the nonsense and calls it out for what it is. People are starting to wake up uh, right and left. And even though the stigma is attached to it, they're starting to wonder, hey, is there really something to this? Like, Because our numbers are growing. And uh, that, that's the thing. People are, like I said, waking up light, right and left. And they may not like all be at the same level or anything of understanding of a lot of this stuff. But most of them do notice right away something's not right here and know they're being lied to and will actually acknowledge they're being lied to about it they may not know much other than that but that's the first step is realizing you're being lied to and then uh once you figure out the uh the scale that you're being lied to on 
it, it's it's astounding after a while. That's Your mind sure. really begins to open up. Yeah, I mean, when, when you're lied to from the top to bottom about everything you've ever been taught, once you realize that, uh, you really begin to question things and, and look at things from a more logical and rational standpoint. You, you do a little bit of background investigation into things to see if something holds water or not. You don't just take something at face value anymore. So uh, whatever you're presented, that's what you need to do. I mean, just look at it. Does it does it have the ring of truth in it? And after a while, you could begin to actually discern this stuff. And discernment's an important thing. And we've talked about that before. And that's the thing. I mean, after a while, you gain some discernment of what's going on around you. And, you know, once you realize uh, that uh, the news media is put there to lie to you, that's their job. And once you realize that, you know not to take anything they tell you at face value. Do your own investigation. And this whole thing going on with Iran right now is a perfect example. They're pushing the fear porn on that Iran thing all over the place. And it's ridiculous. And they're they're just doubling down. And now, you know, you don't hear a thing about impeachment anymore, do you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew that was going to happen. I was waiting for something, to be honest with you. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wasn't. I knew rolling into 2020, this is going to be a big year for a lot of different activity, uh, just because of the numerical significance of it all, and all the things that are are going on this year. Uh, it's an election year. It's an Olympics year. Uh, all of that stuff. And it's you know 2020. It's the year of perfect vision. Mm. Um, there's a two and a two. There's a 22 tied in it. That's the number of the master builder. So just looking at it from the numerical standpoint, I knew going into this year uh, we were going to have some big things happen. I just wasn't expecting it so quickly, per se. Right. Like right after the first of the year, we have all this crap going on now. So uh, it's just don't buy into the fear porn, guys. It's like, honestly, that's what they want. And this is how they empower uh, these these things that they do, these these events and stuff, this is how they empower it, is through your fear. So the more fear and stuff that you have and agitation to this stuff that you see on the news, the more it kind of empowers what they're, the results they're looking for with it. So, yeah, they want to go warmongering maybe. So uh, they'll use your fear and your, your general lack of knowledge about the whole thing to feed into that. So it's it's one of those things where your thoughts kind of create the reality. So don't buy into the fear and don't let the fear uh, really tear down your logical thinking mind, your, your rational adult human mind about this. Because uh, when it comes down to it, think about it from, okay, let's, let's look at it from the perspective of us as Americans. Say the roles were reversed and uh, one of our, our gen generals and how many people here in the U.S. really idolize a general and have them as their, their national hero. Like, I, I don't even think most people could even name a general uh, in any of our armed services, to be honest. But uh, say one of our generals got killed by an Iranian drone strike. <laughs> would, there, would we have uh, people in Washington, D.C., would the streets be lined with millions of people like they showed over in Tehran? Uh out there yelling, you know, death to America or whatever. Uh, would we really have people out there in the streets saying death to Iran? No, I don't think we would. 
I mean, most people probably wouldn't even be aware that it even happened unless they watched it on their news channel. But, uh, well, here's the thing, Wayne. I'd say, by and large, that's kind of a staged thing. So, like, that's not something that I would think would happen in a rational society. Like, these people are all going to take their day, the day off of work or whatever, or school or whatever they have going on in their lives to go stand out in the streets with a sign <laughs> to celebrate this heroic general that that died in this strike and and call for revenge against the people that did it. Like, I, I don't see it. I'm sorry. I, I just don't think it's a rational way of thinking. So... You could you could kind of tell it's a staged event when you look at that. So it's something people need to be aware of that you're being lied to by the news, and that's their job. Well, here if you want another of Morty's mind blowers, this whole Middle East thing has been going on longer <coughs> than Vietnam did. So how about them apples? By the way, Val L, thank you for the two dollars super chat. Just said whoa. Uh, I'm not sure what we were talking about then. My apologies. Um, <laughs> There's a delay between what we're uh, saying and what goes out over the live stream. So if you have a question or anything, Val, by all means, hit us up here. I'd be happy to answer it for you. But thank you for the super chat. But, yeah, I, you know, you've heard me say this numerous times on Crow Triple Seven Radio that the last declared war was World War II. After that, these are whatever they want to call them, police actions or Conflict. situations. <laughs> yeah, They're not wars. They're not They're not – anything and probably because if you declare an official war well first of all everyone's got to agree on that all the uh governing bodies which is not as easy as getting just troops sent somewhere to to spank down whatever it is they want to do or uh bring someone some freedom and capture some oil and keep poppy fields flowing and i'm sorry what am i talking about but uh <laughs> anyway <Freedom. laughs> america america yeah. <laughs> Which at heart I do love. Don't get me wrong. Don't think I don't. Uh, let's move along with your book, though, Wayne. So we're up to quantum computers and quantum system states. Now, this is one of the ones I've been wanting to talk about with you because this book is now going on three years old and technology has moved along, my friend. So where are we at with things compared to when you were initially doing the research for this book? Well, uh, in the uh, quantum computing field, uh, we've gone from... Uh... The, uh, the standard qubit, uh, which would be the equivalent uh, of a bit, but it's a quantum bit, whereas uh, your standard computer operates on bits, and these could either represent as a zero or a one, whereas a qubit in a quantum computer can be both a zero and a one simultaneously, mm -hmm. and this uh, equates to uh, faster computing speeds and more capabilities. Well, they've advanced... Uh, these quantum states in the quantum computers, not only can they do the standard qubit, but uh, they can also do, uh, I, f I forget what the exact term is for it, but they could actually have something that has three separate states. That could be all three states at one, at once now, two. So it could be a zero, one, or a two. And I actually, I think I just read recently that they've been able to actually achieve a fourth state with it now too. Whoa. So they have... All of these these uh, quantum bits, I forget the name of it. It's a Qtrit, I think is what it's called. Yeah, that sounds right, Qtrit. Look up the term Qtrit. So this could represent as a zero, a one, or a two, or even a three now, or all four, any combination of the four of them. So this uh, really escalates the computational power of these devices into astronomical realms. 
uh, when you look at it that way. So as a computational tool, uh, quantum computers in the very near future are going to be unparalleled for a lot of different tasks. Uh, they could achieve things that uh, even your your standard, what they call supercomputers, aren't able to achieve. They could do run calculations and stuff that they can't. And they use very specific algorithms to do this. Uh, one in particular is uh, they, they use something called uh, Monte Carlo uh, algorithm uh, to actually uh, do some ca calculations and figure things out. Now, a quantum computer works. It's, it'll determine uh, what would be their the best outcome based upon large data sets. So uh, when they use these algorithms, they're able to arrive at the best answer uh, out of lots of different plausible answers, whereas your standard computer would just try to calculate it out. But this, it, it basically gives like a really, really good guesstimate of uh, of what would be the best answer to the problem that it's given. And this is basically how it works. It's, it's an algorithm machine, pretty much. It could run complicated algorithms that a standard computer can't. So uh, that's what they use. It's a, a method called combinatorial optimization. That's, that's what these quantum computers do uh, to uh, achieve the answers that they're looking for with them. So they have different capabilities from a standard computer or even a standard supercomputer. So uh, when you look at it that way, if you could tie, say, a standard supercomputer to a quantum computer, uh, the computing power would be just unbelievable. And that's, that's how they could arrive at 99% uh, accuracy in future predictions and things like that. It's all a numbers game, and it has to do with game theory. And uh, a lot of these algorithms utilize game theory and come directly from game theory. That's what they use to achieve these results with these things. So that is an advancement that has taken place within the quantum computing field since I've written this book. And uh, it's really not that old of a book. I, I put it out late 2017 is when it came out. So, uh, you know, in that time, we've advanced quite far with a lot of these different devices and, and different technologies. And that's a perfect example. It's not just a qubit anymore. Now they have Qtrits to work with with these quantum computers. So, uh, you know, that's that's going to be interesting to see what kinds of things that they, they could do with it now. <clears throat> well, the quantum computing thing, I know a lot of people like to doubt that these actually exist and things like that. Do we have any uh, reasonable proof that quantum computers exist, they work as, or at least somewhat, like they are said to, things like that. Where is your research taking you with quantum computers? Because I think that's a really important topic. I also think it's a bit of a scary topic because quantum computers can do crap that, even though I've got a $5,000 iMac Pro sitting in front of me, it makes it look like it's an abacus. Right. Well, they're definitely a device that does exist. They do exist. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Uh, they're extremely expensive, so your standard person doesn't have access to them. Uh, I think the D-Wave runs about ten to twenty million dollars. Is that all? For yeah, that's all. Just for one of <laughs> one of their D-Wave computers. Uh, so you know, <clears throat> not something your average run-of-the-mill computer geek is going to have sitting around the house. Because where would you put Man, this? Man, you should see my video platform? card. Yeah, I mean, if you got the space to put this giant ten-foot black cube that looks like the altar to an alien god, then by all means, go ahead and buy that thing for you. So, uh, yeah, that's that's <laughs> one of those things. But uh, it's not something that everybody has access to. So, uh, because they're they're really expensive, uh, 
their performance capabilities uh, are very limited with uh, the different requirements that they have to them. Like they they have they have to have a, a cooling mechanism in them that's called a uh, pulse tube dilution refrigerator, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember correctly as to what it's called. This keeps the uh, ambient temperature around the uh, the processor uh, around what they call uh, absolute zero. So uh, this is very extremely cold. You have to have this in order for quantum states to take place. So uh, as far as it being an actual thing, yeah, it's an actual thing. Does it operate how they say? I don't think it does because they don't. They're not really sure how it operates. To be <laughs> honest, that's and they even tell you that they're not sure exactly how it works. But they do describe uh, some different quantum system states in certain ways. Now, is this an actual, like, real good description of what's going on? I don't think so. Once once again, I think it's one of those things that's totally misdescribed to us. Uh, once again, this ties back to the whole philosophy of atomism. So uh, they're trying to equate different properties of these technologies back to the whole atomistic viewpoint, whereas they, they try to relate everything back to a particle, whereas there might not necessarily be evidence that there's some type of a particle that exists. In fact, uh, they, they do that a lot with quantum physics is they'll, they'll make a prediction that uh, there should be this type of particle. And then lo and behold, a couple of years later, they claim they found this particle. And the perfect example of that <laughs> Is that uh, what? What do they call the the God particle? You remember that whole thing with that? They claim oh, they yeah. found that. Yeah. Yeah. So and and that's guess what? That's not the smallest particle now. Now they found other things that go along with it. So uh, what was that one called? I can't. The name's escaping me for the moment. What was the official name for it? But it was mm. called the uh, the God particle. Yeah. What was that called? It was a something <laughs> on, wasn't it? Yeah. It's it's always something. Uh, something on of some sort <laughs> so but uh that's yeah, an easy way it's... to find that out because we like to be informed of here <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah but uh it, it's that's beside the point but uh i think quantum physics is misdescribed and there's there's different things that that happen in physics Higgs boson that's what it is the higgs boson i couldn't think of it off the top of my head for some reason too much information sometimes but uh <laughs> anyway that's beside the point because even the things they describe they break down to some degree or another in different things they describe like a perfect example of that is uh, the whole idea of this whole atomism thing where everything's a particle breaks down in something called in uh bose einstein condensate whereas uh these things become both particles and wave functions at the same time in this thing. And it's, it's, it's one of those things where the, even the concept that they give you, the description they give you breaks down in their own terms that they use. So they have to come up with new, new concepts and terms for this to describe what exactly is happening. And you see this all the time. It's the same thing with the whole dark matter dilemma. <laughs> so that made you know, up variable because they put a name exists. to yeah, we, we we gave it a new name, but yeah, Einstein called that uh, the the cosmological constant. Yep. Now they call it dark matter because the, it doesn't and, and work. Hang on, wait. Let's let's in there mathematically. Let's talk about what that is. All that is is a variable that they can't make work in their equations the way they want it to. 
So they give it a name. They just make something up and say, well, this is the cosmological constant. This is a constant in the universe that affects things in this way so that my theory will work mathematically. Well, they don't like Pretty that much, one anymore. Yeah. That one's out of favor. Let's come up with a new one. Now it's dark matter. It's we'll These things it aren't real. Matter. These things aren't real. <laughs> yep. It's even like, I'm sorry, you can't prove to me beyond a shadow of a doubt that even a black hole exists. Like, it's it's one of those things where... I saw the picture. You know, the, it's real. The math, yeah, the math doesn't... <laughs> you saw the picture, that composite, <laughs> that, that artist rendition, that artist interpretation of, of, what was it, like six terabytes of data or something ridiculous like that? From all over like, the world. Like, come on. From all over the world, mm-hmm. yeah. And it looks like a cat's eye. Uh, okay. <laughs> Where do you go from there with that? I mean, yeah, it it's artistic interpretation on all of that stuff. So uh, it... It just boggles the mind. You, you can't mathematically prove it, so you come up with a variable to put in there so that the math works with the theory that you're putting out. And that's what that is. That's that's what dark matter is. It's just the new cosmological constant so that they could just keep their model that they have now that doesn't work. So, <laughs> and they like these models that don't work for some reason. I, I don't know. I don't understand. <laughs> <clears throat> Yeah, right. It doesn't work in reality, but let's, let's come up with some creative math and do some mental gymnastics to make it work. And that's just <laughs> it. That's, that's, that's it. And they make stuff so that the common person can't understand it, that you got to have six blackboards full of numbers. And sometimes I think that the universe probably works a lot simpler than that. And I, right. I will tell you what I think it is. I think it's all frequency yeah. and different states thereof. From the lowest state, which would be physical matter, up into the highest state, which would be whatever God truly is. I think it's all frequency and how much the waveforms are up, down, up, down, your peaks and troughs. The higher you go up, I think the higher state you become. And light or somewhere thereabouts, that frequency is the limits of the physical universe. And once you get beyond that, you start transcending into whatever is beyond, which is why people say things like spiritual entities seem to be outside of time and things like that. And well, that's why, because they're on a higher state. They can dip down to us, but we can't get ours high enough to reach them. That's my theory, and I think it's a pretty damned good one. What do you think, Wayne? I think it's a good theory, too. Now, all we need is six black chalkboards <laughs> so that we could write a whole bunch of math up there, and then we could call it science. Science! <laughs> <laughs> all right. I can't believe uh, we've only got 40 minutes left here. So particle accelerators is the next one. Let's talk about those because I'm sure things have changed in the past several years with those as well. Yeah, uh, particle accelerators. Now they're saying they could build really, really small ones if they want to. Uh, that's that's something I just saw. Yeah, I got one in my bathroom. I want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, but, uh, yeah, they, they have uh, this uh, large hadron collider at CERN, and uh, I guess the Chinese are building a bigger one than that, and they're supposed to be building one somewhere here in the United States that's even bigger yet at some point in the near future, even though they say they could build them on a smaller scale and still, you know, get results from them. Uh, one of the big news stories lately that came out with these is they said they, they broke the speed of light in the Large Hadron Collider now. Gee, what a shocker, huh? It's, you know... <laughs> How do you do that? The speed of light. Very carefully. Apparently. Very carefully, very but... <laughs> carefully. <laughs> but That's anyway, my answer. <laughs> yeah, very carefully. But... Uh, yeah, they, they claim they broke the speed of light now in the particle accelerator. And a lot of the uh, the physicists have 
you know, used this whole speed of light idea as the absolute constant or barrier uh, for the speed of things. But uh, now they've proven you can go faster than light, uh, supposedly. We'll see. Uh, I don't know if the speed of light, the way it's described to us, is an actual thing or not. Um, it, it's one of those uh, things where it's not really a constant when you look at it. Uh, and that's the thing. They describe the speed of light as being a constant. But it has been shown to be changed. And uh, all you have to do in order to, to see the speed of light change is send it through a, a jar full of water and, and watch the, how the speed changes right. with it. And that'll change the speed of it. So it's not really something that's a constant. Uh, there's experiments and stuff you could do, like just like that one, that will show that it's not a constant. So, uh, you know, when you look at it that way, it, it's something that's mutable, okay? It's not this immutable, absolute uh, barrier to speed that there is, like the way they described it. And now they've proven that in their, you, you know, big 17-mile-around uh, particle accelerator that they have to do science in in order to just justify their existence so uh, we'll count some particles and we'll we'll come up with new names for it in our particle zoo and no word of lie that's what they call it yep. the particle zoo because yep, there's always some kind of a new on to add on there and that's that's an interesting name that they give it they put on on the end of it is there anything esoteric about the, the word on jason on the, the city yes. of on in ancient uh, Sumeria, am I remembering correctly? <laughs> well, on that's also another name for Ra. So, uh, you know. No, but it was Ray. a city. It was the city of light. Yeah, well, there you go. Ray, Ra, right. on. Uh, Jabal. Ray, on. where have we heard that uh, recently? Ray, you know, that's, Ray. By the way, that's that's a secret code word in masonry, guys. Jabal on. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's that's all beside the point. But there, there's very esoteric encoding. They they put the word on on the end of all these particles to kind of uh, you know elicit power to uh, the different thing. Like uh, and they come up with some really clever ones too. Like the gluon that this is the particle that holds all the other particles together. It's the glue. Well, that makes that sense. The other that's a good word for it. <laughs> good name for it. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> It's so yeah, they're they're really clever in their naming of these things, aren't they? But uh, yeah, this is their particle zoo. But this is the kind of stuff that they do and they put out publicly. But uh, you know, what could we say about CERN? Um, a lot of really weird occult things go on there, don't they, Jason? Yes. By the way, before I forget, Satoshi Bear asked, uh, "What is the moon?" That's something we want to figure out, and that's why we're teaming up with people like Dave Marsh, why Crow's going to get back to work. Uh, I'm going to try and do some work towards that. We don't honestly know. There's lots of inconsistencies, like I always say, with so much of this stuff, and we are <coughs> going to try and figure out more and more what it may actually be. But there, there are a lot of strange things about the moon that make us think that it might not just be a great big uh, rock in the sky. Uh, by the way, Satoshi Bear, I would love to see more bears come here. I don't know what I can do to get you guys' attention, but doing a new live stream every week and we try to cover information that I know Owen is really into, I would love to uh, see more of you guys get here. Because we only have 136 people right now looking at my counter. That's great, but not a lot. And only a couple thousand people every week see them. So we just want to build this thing more and more. So if anybody has any ideas, uh, I'm open to them. I would love to get this thing really, really big. Yeah, and we could get more bears here. I have a simple way to do that. Bears, I live out in the, the sticks. In the Honey! Middle of nowhere. 
So uh, <laughs> I can tell you one thing. The bears out here, they absolutely love my friggin' garbage can. So I can put my <laughs> garbage can back here if that would attract some bears here. <laughs> oh, I think we could do better than that. I, I generally like the bears. <laughs> yeah. But Me seriously, too, yeah, but, I would like to. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if I, Owen would even want to come on with us. Maybe that's an idea that will get a lot of bears over here. But I like the fact that Owen has grown so much very quickly in months and that he's helping the in case anybody doesn't know what I'm talking about uh people who are fans of Owen Benjamin call themselves bears which is you know he he's his nickname or whatever he considers it is big bear which is cool so they've got their own little thing going on and i would like to see them uh get more information because Owen is really good at throwing a bunch of stuff out there and uh, a lot of where he's getting it from is Crow Triple Seven Radio and the work that that uh, Wayne and I do as well. So we'd love to have more of you guys here, so uh, to help you guys along as well. Yeah, that would definitely be a cool thing. So uh, yeah, any any way we could get, uh, if you know anybody who's interested in this kind of stuff, guys, just spread the word that we're we're on the air here. So uh, you know, it's it's been you know kind of steadily growing here the past few weeks. So. Uh, we're plugging away, trying to reach some bigger audiences and stuff like that. So it's good because we need to get this information out there. It's That's what it's all about in the end of it all, is getting the information out there for people to consider. And if they take value from it and could use it to you know make things better for themselves, great. And if they think it's total nonsense or whatever, you know, no harm done. At least they're coming here, they're getting entertained, right? <laughs> so... We, I would we do make jokes. People, do your do your own research. I mean, that that's the thing. Don't believe anything I have to say or anything Jason has to say. Go look for yourself. Uh, you might be shocked at what you find. That's for sure. Uh, sometimes, sometimes we wind up softballing things just to make it more palatable to people. Uh, and you know, the things that we do find are a lot more shocking than what we say openly. Well, about. yeah, I was so. just going to say that a lot of things, Crow included <laughs> in this, uh, that we talk about are actually a lot more serious than we let on because as crow would say we don't want to blow people's minds like people's heads will blow off we don't want to do that you know we're trying to give you enough of what we've discovered to <laughs> understand and take it further like everyone i always highly recommend do your own homework some bill cooper always used to say too don't believe what i say go and do your own homework totally agree bill Absolutely. And I think that's an important thing that all has to do with people's personal growth, too, and, uh, you know, their own path. And that's an important thing when you get into the uh, the study of, of things like alchemy. It's a personal path. Uh, no, no two people come about uh, this information or these different ideas by taking the same path. It's an individual journey and it's an individual process. And everybody you know, takes different value from different things. But I would recommend listen to what everybody has to say. Uh, learn to use discernment yes. and uh, do your own homework and mm -hmm. be able to find uh, things that support your position on things. Or, or you know, if, you, if there's something somebody's saying, make sure, look and see what there is out there that supports that position before you just out and out believe something. I mean, I'm I'm not a proponent of just randomly taking everything at face value. That that's what the TV and what you know the the media and and all of that stuff wants you to do is just take everything they feed you at face value and you know just run with it like that and believe what they tell you. 
I, I don't want people to do that. I want you to question things. I want you to see if you can poke holes in these ideas and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, if you could find value in stuff like that, that's great. So, you know, that way you can kind of discern a little better for yourself what's true, what's not true, what seems to be, you know, to hold true in your experience, uh, that kind of thing. And it's all an individual uh, kind of a journey. And it's, it, you know, an individual experience. So that's that's kind of the path that, that needs to happen for people. It's a personal journey that each of us goes on and, you know, discovering these things. So, By the way, I, I see people talking about Owen. I have no idea if he's some kind of shill or not. I don't think he is. And I give everybody a fair shake and be cool to everyone until I have a reason not to. And Owen Benjamin has never been anything but cool and very respectful to me. I met him, uh, when was that? November? Yeah, November. Really awesome to me. Extremely respectful. Had several really good conversations. I don't know where the negativity towards the guy is coming from, but I think he seems like a great dude. And he's just trying to do what we are all doing, and that's understand what the heck's going on. And he came a long way in a very short amount of time and, you know, probably blew his mind a little bit, understandably so. But that's my take on it. I like Owen until I have a reason not to. Yeah, I don't see an issue with the guy. Uh, he seems genuine to me from what I've seen of him. I've watched a few of his videos and stuff now. Um, you know, he, he puts kind of a comedic take on things and stuff. Well, that's because he's a comedian. Yeah, I, <laughs> right, oh, I get that. You're kidding. Is that what it is? No, but uh, at any rate, yeah, it's it's one of those things where uh, everybody's journey is a little different, and he seems genuine. David from what Wilcock. I see, so. <laughs> Somebody just said David Wilcock. David Wilcock's a fraud. Him and his buddy Corey. <laughs> they People are like frauds. 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 They've been frauds since I heard them back with Art Bell. <laughs> Good evening. This is Art Bell, and tonight on Coast to Coast we have. David Wilcock, who says that he is the reincarnation of Edgar Casey. Bullshit. That guy is a fraud <laughs> through and through. And why do I say that with such confidence and boisterousness in my voice? Because I've checked him out, and it is obvious. That's why. Anyway. Jason, look at his hair. His hair's great. <laughs> He's got great hair. He's got great hair. So, you know, and I mean, that's got to account for something. Great big yeah, smile. He's Anyway, and you know he's in good with the sphere being alliance, so he's all good, you know. You know, blue chicken people. people, blue chicken people. Yes, it's all about the blue chicken people. So, but anyway, I digress. All right, next we have nanoparticles. Let's talk about nanoparticles, Wayne. Oh boy, that's nanoparticles. probably the, <clears throat> That's probably one of the biggest things going on right now that people are largely unaware of. Uh, there's nanoparticulates in everything. It's in our food. It's in our water. Mm. It's in the air we breathe. It's in the, the vaccines quite heavily. Um, and I'm not just talking just regular nanoparticles or nanoparticulates. Uh, there's actual technologies in there. It's not just particles per se. There's There's technologies at work that are being used against us in ways that people can't even imagine. Uh, Chemtrails. What'd you say? Chemtrails. Yes, chemtrails is, you know, a big producer of these things, and you're breathing them in. And uh, they're in every one of your bodies out there right now, uh, whether you realize it or not. And whether you believe it or not, I don't expect anybody to believe that that's the case. 
Go look for yourself. I'm a nihilist. I believe in nothing. Yes, but uh, yes, I I would recommend people go look up uh, nano.gov. Just look on there. I mean, that's an official government website that talks about all things nanotechnology. .gov. Does that mean it's a government website? Yes, it is. That's that's usually what that means. It's not .glove. It's .gov. So, but at, at any rate, uh, that's one particular place you could look and find all kinds of different uh, things about nanotechnologies and stuff like that. Uh, the Department of Defense and DARPA are very heavily involved with developing uh, nano devices and, and things of that nature. Uh, one that's very provable that people could look up that they might find a little bit disturbing, but it's still kind of mild compared to what's really out there, is something called smart dust. Uh, I would recommend people look up Smart Dust. And there's also an admitted to thing that goes along with Smart Dust. It's kind of a take on Smart Dust. And it's called Neural Dust. And that's a real thing, too. People could look up and see that's you know, maybe just a little bit disturbing, but not as disturbing as the stuff that's really out there hmm. that I, I really don't want to go into too much detail about because it could take up a whole two-hour show. But uh, that's beside the point. If people are really interested in knowing uh a lot of what's going on with a lot of these uh, nanoparticulates and, and nano devices, nano machines, nanobots, all of that stuff. Uh, I could highly recommend uh, it's it's available out there on Vimeo right now. You could watch my presentation from Shoot the Moon NYC mm-hmm. where I talk about that. Where you know uh, these different things are are going on with this nanotechnology. And uh, people might be a little shocked to hear about some of that. So it's it's something that, you know, I'll just put my toe in the water right here because we only have like 25 minutes or something left here. So we could say uh, the nanotechnology is it's a big part of uh, the overall transhumanist agenda. It's a big part of things to come. And uh, it's it's being used to manipulate you in all kinds of ways that you're unaware of right now. Uh Things like uh, a little something called optogenetics that people could look up. That's also a very provable thing that's going on. Uh, It talks about uh, what this is, optogenetics, uh, using different uh, nano devices that could attach themselves to uh, people's neurons. They could use blue light from like, say, computer screens or television screens or anything of that sort to uh, basically read your thoughts. And uh, that's that's one of the things that people might not realize is really going on. Do you ever think about something and then, uh, you know, an hour or two later you're scrolling through Facebook and there's an ad for it <laughs> on, on there? That never happens. That's, yeah, I, I mean, I'm just telling people, you know, have you had that experience? You didn't say anything about it. You weren't talking about it. Uh, you just you thought about it, and then there's an ad for it on Facebook. That's optogenetics at work, folks. That that's this neuro uh, nano neurotechnology, and that's that's another term you'll see. Nano neuro will be going around a lot. Nano neurotechnology. That's nano ne- neurotechnology hard at work right now. And uh, you can even look up. Uh, there's articles from last year where uh, Facebook is talking about trying to develop uh, technology that can read your thoughts. So mm-hmm. you know, I mean. It, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sugarcoating it or anything, but uh, yeah, it's it's really something, and uh, it's it's not science fiction. It's real stuff, and the state of it is way beyond that. 
if they're letting you see that now uh, out in public view, then that's probably 30-year-old technology. And I can't emphasize that enough to people. So, you know, it's it's something to think about. But, uh, yeah, we could uh, move on from there. Uh, neuro- nanotechnology, it's, it's something that's being utilized on a grand scale right now that people are largely unaware of. But it's out there, I assure you. And there's the big three, as we always like to say, the triumvirate of transhumanism, if you want to do any homework on them. That would be Ray Kurzweil, Elon Musk, and my favorite little personality other than Uncle Elon, which is Zoltan Eastfan. He's a very interesting fellow. Uh, if you don't know who he is, and we did a show on him a couple weeks ago, take a look at what he says and does and... Uh, I don't know. I like that guy. He's entertaining, <laughs> to say the least. He's let's let's just say he's a, he's a bit charismatic. Um, he comes off sounding a little little out there sometimes with stuff. He seems like he should have a he's, Netflix he's science fiction show about him. That's what I yeah. think. He's very knowledgeable, and boy, he does he have a cartoon villain name or what? Zoltan. <laughs> <laughs> How do you go wrong with a name like that, Zoltan? Yeah. It is cool. I like it. <laughs> So we did, uh, we did computer brain interfaces. So how about genetic engineering, epigenetics, and life extension technology? Yeah, that's a big one right now. Well, that's wow. a big one, and we've only got 23 minutes <laughs> left. So I know we're not going to get through all of this. We'll have to finish this another time. Yeah, there's but a carry lot on. to talk about. Yeah. Um, yeah, basically when you're looking at uh, the biology aspect of all of this, the genetic aspect, uh, you're talking about technologies such as what's called CRISPR. And uh, in the interim from when I wrote my book uh, until now, there have been some advances in that. Uh, the CRISPR gene editing tool that they they were using, uh, it used to use something called a Cas9 protein in order to uh, to do the work, to, to snip uh, out the, the portions of the DNA that they were looking to do in order to alter it. Uh, Basically, how this works is this uses this this enzyme or this protein to snip out a part of a DNA sequence, and they could use a, a, a protein scaffold that they could put uh, some different RNA in in order to insert different information into the DNA strand. So they could use this to alter DNA, mm-hmm. but uh, one of the advances they made is they used to use this Cas9 protein uh, to do this, okay? But they discovered that this uh, a newer protein called a Cas10 protein seems to work a little bit better. So they've been able to kind of tweak this tool so that they could use this different protein now to do that. Um, I don't know much about uh, the Cas10 protein uh, so much now, but uh, from what I could see, I mean, this this is uh, a tool they could use to alter the genetics and things, and they they do it pretty easily. I mean, they, they actually you, you could buy. CRISPR kits and stuff for just public use and consumption. And you can do experiments on yourself. You could inject yourself with stuff that'll potentially change your DNA around. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of potential for abuse with this stuff. So it's it's something that I think there needs to be some tighter restrictions on because, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of scary that this stuff's just available for public consumption yeah. out there. Um, another thing that they've been... Uh, they have they have done with this technology, this CRISPR tool, is they've created something called a gene drive. So what this does is this will actually alter the uh, the genes of a, uh, a 
a person or a creature. In this case, they've used it in mosquitoes a lot. Okay, so they could change these genetics in mosquitoes so that it passes on through their germline to the next generation. So not only are they changing the, the individual genetic traits of the individual mosquito, but they're making these so that they pass on into the whole entire species, like to the next generation that this mosquito would breed with or whatever. So that's what they're doing uh, with this. And I, I guess they were saying they were doing it to uh, trying to remember. I think this had to do with the, uh, the whole uh, microcephaly thing that was going on. Do you remember that? The Zika virus and all that? Yeah. They were trying to engineer the mosquitoes so that mm-hmm. uh, they weren't spreading this around or something along those lines, if I remember correctly. Yeah, something but, like that. But uh, yeah. what they're talking about now is actually engineering these mosquitoes so that uh, when they bite you, they vaccinate you. And I kid you not. Isn't that great? So, yeah, that's nice, isn't it? So, yeah, they're trying to genetically engineer these mosquitoes to do that so that they can vaccinate you with them. So that way, you know, if you're one of those crazy anti-vaxxers like me, uh, you know, you'll be getting your vaccination anyway. So thanks. Uh, no, thanks. <laughs> but uh, that's, that's beside the point. But, uh, yeah, but that's kind of some of the things that they've been been working on with these type of technologies and uh, the science of epigenetics is still kind of in its infancy right now Uh, but what this studies is this studies uh, people's genetic predisposition towards things it's not something that's like necessarily definitely inherited genetically but uh, there's the potential there for something to uh, manifest genetically and a lot of this is caused by environmental triggers so uh, that's that's what epigenetics studies is this kind of thing. So uh, this is kind of like uh, what you would call meta information passed on through your DNA. So uh, it's it's one of those things where it's not something that's directly related to the genetic, but it can be traced through family lines to some degree or another, and it kind of makes you like predisposed towards certain things. Like I think a lot of this plays heavily into the whole vaccine autism link as well. I think a lot of people have certain genetic factors that are more of an epigenetic type factor that gives them a higher susceptibility rate to developing autism from the vaccines. And, you know, this is something that I think uh, needs to be studied more. But uh, unfortunately, you know, the, the vaccine manufacturers aren't doing that, nor do they intend to do that, because they'll tell you the science is settled. The vaccines don't cause autism. So, uh, you know, that's that's something that I take umbrage with, too, because I've torn apart a lot of vaccine studies. Uh, So, yeah, but that's that's neither here or there. So uh, we should probably move on to the next uh, topic here. I don't know what OP means, but I'm seeing people say that in the chat. You know what that that's OP. supposed to for? Wayne is OP. I don't know what that means. I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. Ocean Pacific. It's, it was a line of clothes when back in the 1980s. Do you remember that, Jason? Yeah, Ocean yeah, Pacific. I do. When I was wearing my members only okay, jacket. Oh, back in the day, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're showing our age. We're old, but that's beside the point. <laughs> we have Any. next geoengineering chemtrails and GMOs or genetically modified organisms. Yeah, all these things kind of cross over with one another. Um, The geoengineering that's going on, uh, they've kind of doubled down. Since I wrote the book, they've really doubled down on this, and this has become 
you know, publicly accepted knowledge that these geoengineering programs are something that they're planning on doing and they have started to do. Uh, they use terms like solar radiation management. Uh, um, you know, what's what's another popular one that they use for that other than the, the geoengineering, solar radiation management. Uh, on point. Ah, that makes terms sense. Okay. You're oh, on okay. point. Yeah. Wayne is on point. There okay. you go. Kapew! I'm on point. Sometimes I go off point. I go off point a lot. I go off on, on tangents. Stuff. That's just kind of how my brain works. So, you know, I'll start thinking about stuff. And I'm, I'm easily distracted, too, at times. Ooh, shiny. Uh, but, you know, it's just one of those things. But uh, anyway, geoengineering programs. Uh, this is something that's being readily admitted to. Big time uh, now. It's, it's well known. Oh, yeah, it's been documented that they're spraying us with aluminum, strontium, barium, uh, various other things like that. Um, a lot of things have been coming forward with it. Uh, there's different patents and stuff you could look up. Um, you know, they, they're, they're pushing the whole climate change agenda with this, and they're, they're claiming this is their solution to climate change when in reality that this is actually what's causing climate change uh but they're they're introducing it as the solution and i think there's different levels of deception going on with this whole chemtrail thing i think it's one of those multifaceted platforms once again that they use for different different reasons and one of the main reasons is they're they're trying to block out our sun uh, and i think there's some more esoteric ideas uh, that play along with that as well as to why they're blocking out the sun. Now, you know, the the story they gave you on the surface of it all is they're trying to block out the sun because of runaway global warming. So it's to cool the uh, the temperature of the planet. So what they do is they're they're affecting the albedo of clouds, which is the reflectivity of clouds so that the clouds will reflect the sunlight back up out of the atmosphere so that uh, you know, it'll cool the global temperature. Supposedly, this is you know what they they claim and what they say. So that's what their their reasoning is on the surface. But I think there's more esoteric things involved with it. There's different reasons they're blocking out the sun, and uh, you know the the sun is our connection to life. So it's 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 kind of blocking life energy from from hitting the earth, in in my viewpoint. So. If you take away the life energy, you know, you have a population of, of sick people. And uh, is that not what's going on by and large in society today? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's not good. Definitely not good. Very much yeah. concerning. Yeah, it's very concerning. I mean, that that's the thing. I mean, just look now. I mean, I'm sitting here hacking and coughing all the time constantly here. Yeah. Uh, everybody I know... Is, you know, is fighting some kind of a cold or virus or something right now. Lots of new so, allergies. That's the one thing we see a lot of. Allergies. Lots of allergies. Yeah. Right. And this has to do with a lot of different things. I think uh, right now, I've noticed the past couple of years, I've taken notice, like this time of year in particular, when you're going from November, November like right on through until I would say early March, everybody's sick. Now, that's kind of always been... You know, uh, like a stereotypical thing in the wintertime. People do tend to get sick more in the wintertime. But it's really escalated the past couple of years, I've noticed. And I think this largely relates directly to flu shots. People are going out and getting their flu shots, and then they get sick. And then they pass it on and get everybody else sick, too. 
So it's like everywhere you go, everybody's got this. And then mm-hmm. once again, I think this also ties back to the things they're spraying in the sky too, because there's been different uh, kinds of bacteria and viruses and and you know, I uh, human blood cells and things like that found in the chemtrail spraying. So uh, you know, I mean, we're getting hit from a lot of different angles with this stuff. So it's no wonder people are are like sick with with this stuff with respiratory illnesses and things like that right now i think a lot of it plays along with this it's there's different uh different vectors we're getting hit at with this and you know the chemtrail spraying is one of those so that's these uh geoengineering programs at work uh i think the reasons that they give are not really the truth about why they're doing it or or what they're doing exactly or what they're even spraying i think it's a cover it's a big operation that's been going on um, <coughs> from some of the research I've done. It seems to me that uh, a lot of the monies that uh, go to the quote unquote secret space program are heavily involved in these geoengineering programs. Like a, a lot of the black budget monies that, that go, you know, out there into the, the, the black projects world wind up in these geoengineering programs. So, it's it's an interesting thing that we need to keep an eye on, and uh, we're not getting any straight answers from anybody in the know about it. So it's one of those things that uh, could be very telling in the next couple of years. What topic uh, here in the chat room, I'm not sure which, which ones you're referring to. If it's Mandela Effect, there's something going on. But it's really, really difficult to nail it all down and... Once you start tearing into it, you're going to drive a lot of people nuts, too, because everyone's got a lot of different opinions on it. And it's very, very hard to tell anybody what their personal memories are. Now, the one thing I can tell you that Wayne and I both agree on, out of all of the stuff that is Mandela Effect related, the one that I even got Crow on, even though he doesn't want to uh, say what what's really behind it, is the Moonraker clip. And I, I say this all the time. There's something to that. Uh, I distinctly remember, Wayne, I know you distinctly remember, and Crow even remembers, and a lot of people I've asked remember, in Moonraker from 1978 or 79, whatever year that came out, the girl had braces in the Jaws scene at the end. And that's that's just that. Now, if that's some kind of really clever psyop that was arranged, or there's something else to it, there's absolutely no way to prove that, that we know of. And we're open to look at stuff, but the problem is, where do you go to look at something like that? I just don't know. Right, and that's that's a lot of the thing with the Mandela effect, too, is uh, it, it's one of those things where it's just it's largely unprovable. I mean, there's no way to prove that uh, this has changed. And I, I could tell you, I've had some personal experiences with the Mandela effect that really blown my mind. And uh, it's it's just one of those things where you don't know what to accept as to being the reasoning behind it. Uh, there's a lot of people who have a lot of different theories about it. Uh, I would say at this point, uh, looking back now and examining things more closely as I have, I would say this is akin to uh, the barn wall from Animal Farm, like Crow alludes to a lot. Uh, that's what this is. How it's being done, that's another story. I have no idea. I could speculate all day long. 
is it something uh, like, say, maybe some kind of a, a mass psyop or, or mind control type thing? I think that's probably a likely scenario because we can see that they do have technologies and stuff that are able to alter memories. Um, so that's that's a possibility. It's one of those things. It's very hard to nail down what exactly is the cause of it. Uh, it is a real thing going on, though. Uh, whether it's actually making real physical changes in the in our world or not, though, that's that's open for interpretation and debate because it could just be something playing around with your memory or your mind. So, yeah, it, it's it's hard to say, it, man. It really it's is. one of those things that it is. It's one of those things that's largely unprovable, and it's a fascinating topic. And I've looked at a lot of these. Uh, if anybody is, is really interested in the Mandel, I can't recommend enough a guy named Brian Staley. He's he's on top of it with uh, the Mandel and stuff. He's done a lot of looking at it and research into it. He was and, he was know, here last week in our chat finding, room. Yeah, he he does frequent our the chat room and stuff here. He he does you know keep up with us and stuff. So uh, he's a good guy and he he knows his stuff about Mandela for sure. So now uh, I've disproved some of them by the way. Recommend checking his up. Before before I forget yeah. to mention this, uh, I've looked at some of them and some of them I've disproven. Like there was a Doors song that. Uh, there's a, there's a channel named Moneybag73, if I remember correctly, who's really, really good at going at this stuff. But not all of them are Mandela's. Like, I found the reason why there was a Doors song that had different lyrics, and it was because the uh, original was one version, and then when they did a 90s release, it was a different version, and people were just kind of mixing them up. And I found both versions exist on different releases, and it was something as simple as that. Now, that does not explain something as crazy as the Moonraker clip, so obviously there's still something to this. Now, we're running out of time really quick, and somebody asked an important question or something I think is important. In the chat room, Alice Mint asked, how do we feel about Walmart FEMA camps in regards to a possible World War III? Now, uh, I'll tell you a story. Uh, um, Crow, Crow hit me with this a few months ago. He doesn't go to Walmarts at at any, like, ever, really. And he happened to go to one and called me uh, while he was there saying to me about what he thought about that. And it's the same thing I always thought. Those things could be ready-made. Uh, what would you call them? Just I hate to call them FEMA camps, but could they be used as a detainment center easily with the way it's structured and how easily things could be moved around on the inside and all that? Yes, Walmart is, is is in bed with the government. That's an easy one to prove. So there seems to be something about it. Uh, and that's really all I, I can to tell you. If they wanted to turn that into some kind of detainment camp, yes, it, it could be so. And I, I don't think you're going to disagree with that one, right, Wayne? No, it's definitely possible. I mean, it, it, any type of retail structure like that, it, the, you know... The possibility does exist. It could be converted on the fly pretty quickly. I don't think it would take much uh, as largely the, the interior of those type stores is kind of it's it's just big and open and it's very mutable so they could do whatever they need with it. So, I mean, it, it's possible it could be done and probably could be done relatively quickly if they wanted to change it over. But uh, I don't know if labeling it a, a FEMA camp per se uh, would be an accurate assessment of that. Um, well, Crow noticed what I noticed, why he called me to say this. He's like, wow, I can see so many ways this could easily be used very quickly in a negative scenario like that. And I was like, yeah, man, I know you don't normally go to these places, but sometimes I do out of necessity because there, uh, there really isn't a lot of options sometimes. There aren't a lot of options sometimes. 
but uh, I, I don't know. That's it. Um, we've only got five minutes left, Wayne. What else would you like to cover that you feel is important? And we could always pick up this another time because there are quite a few topics. Let me see. Oh, yeah, we, there's a lot of topics left in here. So we can do that later at another another live stream. But um, what do you want? how do you want to tie this up for today? Uh, first of all, what we've been talking about is this. Wayne's book, The Alchemical Tech Revolution. And uh, he did a lot of work on this. This was, uh, this was very well researched, and I'm very happy that uh, Wayne put this out. And as we've been discussing through this whole live stream, that there is a lot of information coming out all the time. This is what we were doing was basically, let's go through and do an update on what you put out from several years ago. But uh, Wayne, what would you like to, to throw out in these last few moments that we have? Uh, I think it's important to really touch on the spiritual aspect of a lot of these things, uh, because what we're building towards right now is this whole transhumanist agenda, and uh, it doesn't take into account or have any regard for spiritual things, and that's a major concern, because that kind of leans towards more of a Luciferian-type mindset, uh, as far as that goes, or a secular human uh, mindset. So... Uh, it's disregarding a lot of spiritual aspects of things, and I think it's a, a dangerous path to go down because, you know, you're looking at uh, trying to turn just our, our whole world upside down, pretty much. It's an attempt to invert our natural world. It, it's an inversion of nature and how it works, and it's, it's trying to eliminate the spiritual component of things and bind everything into this physical, uh, material world. And that that's a dangerous thing when you're looking at it. So uh, my, my take on it is, with the real danger of transhumanism, is if you buy into this, this philosophy and you go the route of allowing the, uh, yourself to, to be merged with the machine, per se, I think you're losing a bit of your your essence, your your spiritual spark, uh, that divine spark that's put within us, and you're opening yourself up uh, to the encroachment of uh, different uh, possible spiritual powers per se, and that that's a dangerous thing because I honestly believe that uh, even if they do manage to accomplish the ability to transfer their quote unquote consciousness into a computer. I don't think that'll be them in essence. Like that'll be the actual person. It'll be a replica. Yeah, it'll be a replica of that person. But uh, does your spirit move along with that? I don't think it does. So this creates a scenario where if you're uh, connecting your your physical body to these machines, and you know you're you think you're uploading your consciousness into the machine. And you're achieving this uh, quote-unquote immortality. I think your spirit will move on, and it'll mostly be machine left. And this makes it for a very dangerous scenario, uh, with the possibility if you accept that uh, there are other spiritual beings or extra-dimensional beings out there that are looking to uh, get a foothold into our reality and our world. This is a gateway. It's turning the human body into a gateway for such a thing and the whole uh, tie-in with the, the transhumanist thing. Uh, and this, this once again, this, this kind of reflects back to uh, the Nephilim of the Bible. 
this was uh, a being that didn't really belong in our our physical reality. And this is uh, what a lot of uh, Christian theologists and stuff claim is the reasoning for the flood is because uh, these these beings were uh, interbreeding with man and uh, these beings did not belong in in this physical reality that we live in. So you're looking at a similar thing with the uh, whole transhumanism thing going on. This is a hybrid being that doesn't belong here. Okay, so uh, when you look at that and uh, you come to the conclusion that nature always self-corrects, we're looking at the coming of another Tower of Babel type moment here, uh, in my view. And I think that that's another thing that's important to look at is these spiritual ramifications of this. And I go into detail of this in, in my book in the later chapters. And that's, you know, kind of a place that we, we didn't really touch on here too much tonight. So I, I kind of would like to, you know, just let people think about that towards the end here. Look at things with a more spiritual lens and, and keep an eye on it that way. All right, that's it. We are out of here. Thank you to everyone who tuned in. Thank you to everyone in the chat room. Find Wayne's books at uh, on Amazon.com. Also, join us tomorrow for the new episode of Crow 777 Radio, crow777radio.com. Uh, this week's episode is with James True by many requests, and it was a great chat. So I hope you enjoy that as well. Good night, Fringe FM, and take care, everyone. Thanks for being here, and we'll see you next Wednesday. Good night.